Wonderful response. It was <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> I, I feel really loved. <laughs> so wel- welcome to our place today. So the church obviously doesn't normally meet here. We normally meet at the Albert Hall, but uh, that wasn't possible today. So we're at the City Mission. And in my other role, I'm CEO of the City Mission, sit just above here. Um, have been here in my seventh year. So um, it's been uh, quite a whirlwind. It's gone really quickly. And it's quite significant because we've been in a series about the Father Heart of God and today's about the Father Heart of God for the poor. And so we're on good ground for that because um, for 165 years we've been serving the poor of Launceston. Not always from this site but for many years from this site. And I was just noticing that plaque over there in loving memory of Clarence Ashdown from the poor of Launceston. That'd be a good epitaph to have, wouldn't it? For the church, that the, um, the church was so important because they cared for the poor. And I just want to share a bit this morning about um, some of the words Jesus used and some of the lessons we can learn about our heart for the poor. And what I've learned about you know, being at City Mission in those seven years, I learnt a lot about the language we should use and I, I've understood a lot more about stigma and um, how a lot of people in our, in our community uh, sometimes approach uh, the issue of family breakdown and personal breakdown and, and poverty and um, just the uh, difficulties, addiction and all those things. Um, they get a strange perspective of it. Well, it's a perspective, I think, that can be commonly held until you start working with the people. And uh, you find out that they're unique, uh, they can be loved, God loves them, and he sees them as just equal to the rest of us. And um, the longer you uh, spend with people like that, you gain an appreciation uh, for, the, for the whole situation. I just want to start with about seven facts about the city mission because many of you wouldn't know exactly all that we do. I think it's very evident that we give away food and um, uh, cash and, you know, and help people through difficult stages of their life. But uh, we're also, we run a lot of uh, services, uh, mission shops, uh, social enterprise. We actually recycled 331,000 items of clothing, shoes and accessories last year. And that was uh, represented almost 22,000 cubic meters, uh, cubic meters of goods that we diverted from landfill. Um, we refined our Missiondale program. That's where our alcohol and drug clients are last year. And so we had a 20% increase in client supported and uh, many stages of the programs completed. We run out, a run a house out there at Newnham, uh, provided... Over six and a, uh, over six and a half thousand bed nights. Uh, it runs at ninety five percent occupancy, and eighty seven percent of the clients there reported improved circumstances. We served over sixteen thousand meals from Morton's, where we're going to eat together. So that'll be sixteen thousand and fifty. Um, and up at, um, at at Burnie as well, we serve meals now. We have an outreach trailer that fed nearly thirteen thousand people. And on the Northwest trailer, yes, that's a lot of sausages. And supported over 90 community events. Uh, the Choir of High Hopes, um, they practice in here. We've got some members of the choir here today, so that's great. 
Uh, they celebrated 10 years of operation. And it's a wonderful open group where anyone, anyone, come in, anyone can be part of that. Um, the Children's Trauma, Grief and Loss, and Kate works in that service, the 537 young people supported last year across 53 schools. And we've got 14 schools currently on our waiting list for that service. That's the extent of that. It's um, pretty crazy. And Youth Services, which is just across the uh, laneway here, the MISH supported 81 young people, so that's a long-term mentoring model, finding pathways to employment for those young people. Seven returned to education, nine found pathways to employment, and that's the start. Um, and every life counts. But I want to talk a bit, uh, uh, talk this morning and just focus on that time uh, when Jesus... In Matthew 26, uh, makes this statement about the poor you will always have with you. And it's an interesting statement. And when Jesus, I'll, I'll just read from Matthew 26, 6. I'm probably standing in front of it, aren't I? But it won't matter. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, there's a question there about how Jesus is at Simon the leper's house, isn't it? Um, interesting name for Simon. And Jesus would be there. But a woman came to him having an alabaster, alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a decent work for me. For you have the poor with you always. But me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. This is one of the passages that all four Gospels have an account of. They are slightly different, but in each one we see a woman. We see the woman anointing Jesus. The account in Luke is rather different. It uh, has a different focus on the nature of the woman. But Mark 14 has a very similar account, as does John 12. However, John 12 puts the whining firmly at the feet of Judas. John 12, 4-6 says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And had the money box, and he used to take what, he, what, he put, what was put in it. And there are many things of significance in this passage. The first significant thing is nowhere else in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus anointed. Only this unnamed woman does this. The Hebrew word for anointed is Messiah, so he's being anointed as Messiah. The Greek word for anointed is Christ, Christ and his anointing. And if any of you have studied the, the name of Jesus Christ in the Greek. And Jesus is recognised as Christ or Messiah in this passage in Matthew 26. That's the first significant thing. The second significant thing is that Jesus is anointed on his head with a special anointing ointment for kings. 
And for, so for the Jewish people there, this is really significant. It's the same process that David and other kings in the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible experience were anointed. So they should have recognised that was happening as well. And the third significant thing, that here Jesus is also anointed for his burial, speaking of what is to come. And there's a prophetic element to this anointing. It's unlikely that the woman recognised the significance of her actions, but that is one of the wonderful things about obedience. When we obey the voice of God through scripture or the prompting of his spirit, God takes our actions and gives them a spiritual element that we cannot plan. And sometimes don't anticipate. How true is that? That the pathway to a greater revelation of Christ is obedience to the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do something beyond what we can even understand. But this story doesn't end with the anointing. It continues to a discussion about the poor. The section of the passage I want to focus on today, though, is the reference to the poor. We see that when the woman anoints Jesus, she is chided by the disciples for doing so. They're the original tut-tut group in the church. Uh, You shouldn't be doing that. Um, That's just not what we do. Now, maybe... Just maybe they were actually concerned about the plight of the poor. Uh, perhaps they walked past the poor on their way to the home of Simon. Perhaps they didn't agree with her actions. Perhaps they saw this extravagant act and in their hearts they genuinely grieved that the money spent on the perfume could have changed the lives of people in genuine need. Or maybe, as John likes to tell in his account, it was Judas and his guilty conscience Judas uses the poor as an excuse to make money for himself. I'm just going on a diversion at the moment. I stumbled across this series on Netflix called AD. Now, I'm not going to recommend it because the Romans were a very um, brutal group and I, I, I think you've got to be careful about what you watch these days when it comes to violence. But there is some... Uh, there's one scene that just... Uh, yeah, uh, when we talk about Judas, of course, Judas, full of remorse, it's, it's so wonderfully depicted in this show, goes back to the temple, throws the coins that he's been given uh, back uh, to the priests that are gathered there and then goes out into the field and hangs himself, just so full of remorse, which uh, just, just shows you that the end, of, um, after he's seen what happens at the cross, you know, his heart becomes so vexed that he can't, he can't live any longer because he'd been part of that group for so long and knew the heart of Jesus and then just couldn't live with himself. So it, it was just uh, brought home to me, um, um, uh, you know, just so much. And um, we read from Paul this morning and, and, and his message and later on I've just got to the point where Saul is depicted as this murderous person. He's just the... You know, sometimes when we read the scripture, I'm glad it's been brought alive for me. Sometimes when we read the scripture, we just read a few verses and think, oh, he must have been pretty bad. It's all good that he got saved. No, he was just, he is, he's just, he's depicted as the antithesis of like just the early church being persecuted. And then there's this amazing transformation. And... 
um, that's why Paul became so influ influential. He'd been forgiven so much. He was actually committed to destroy the church. And then Jesus intervened himself. And the, his whole life was turned around. You know, I believe we've got to be active in sharing our faith so that we never uh, lose sight of the miracle of a person who comes to faith in Christ. The only reason we become disinterested in that is because we haven't seen it. It's been so long since we've been involved with it. And when we can come back to seeing that regularly and being part of our Christian experience, we'll become committed to it. We'll, th we'll, we'll actually believe this is the best thing that we could be doing. Nothing better. But back to the message for today. Um, what is interesting in, in this account is the reaction of Jesus to the disciples' complaints. Jesus doesn't praise the disciples for their idea of addressing poverty. Referring to John's account, he stops Judas from being able to line his own pockets. Instead of joining in with the disciples and criticising this woman, he praises her for her alleged waste of the ointment. Jesus then says this classic line, the poor are with you always, but you will not always have me. How should we interpret this? Is Jesus justifying poverty? At first glance, it can be it can appear that Jesus is being a bit flippant about the poor. Don't worry about those people. I talked about stigma before. You're, you're always going to have trouble or be concerned with them. They're always going to be, be with you. Instead, focus on me. And this is a commonly held view in our community. Uh, when I speak to a lot of people about uh, some of our clients with addiction, I sometimes get back from my middle class friends but Stephen isn't it, isn't it their fault I said you, you really need to come and spend some time at Missiondale and get to meet these people in fact when you go out there you'd wonder why they're all there because not, not when they're not using they're normal people like you and I they've got a lot of issues they've got a lot of stories when you get into the cognitive therapy groups, Barbara has sat in some of those groups. When you get in the cognitive therapy groups, they invariably start talking about things that happen to them, zero to 12. They could be 65 years old and they're still telling those stories. That's the fact of it. That's why we work with children in schools. Because that's where it all starts. Over 80% stories like that it's not their fault <laughs> where the fault is that we live in a broken sinful world and this is just uh, this is the story of so many people that's why we need to have a heart for them in the church and that's why the churches so many years ago started the city mission uh, we were birthed out of the churches we're uh, you know an arm an instrument of the church to the poor Hopefully you can hear me saying those words and think, what, that doesn't sound like Jesus. I don't think you'd be dismissive of the poor. And you're, you're, you're right. 
It's this same Jesus who literally one chapter earlier uh, brings the parable about the sheep and the goats. And um, the classic line from there, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. The poor will always be with us. What is Jesus really saying? If he's just taught that at length about how we should care for those who are sick, dying, in prison, lonely. Jesus knew that the Jewish people of the day should recognise when he said that uh, what the teaching of Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 50 verse 11. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Open your hand to your, wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. This passage is about God's plan to ensure that the poor are always taken care of. We may not understand the reference immediately when we read Jesus saying in verse 11, the poor you'll always have with you, but Jesus' disciples would have understood. They would have understood his reference to Deuteronomy and they would have known that God already had a program for addressing poverty. Rather than selling something valuable and donating the money to the poor, the people of God were supposed to be following God's command to take care of one another all the time. The Sabbath year came every seven years. It was designed for looking after the land as it would lie fallow. Every seven years, the people of Israel would have cancelled debts, uh, looking after the poor and cancelling their debt. In referring, referring to this passage, Jesus is not being dismissive, dismissive of the poor. He's reminding his listeners of their God-given duty to look after the poor. Jesus, and Jesus had taught a length about this in the previous chapter. And Jesus said, excuse me, Jesus said, looking after the poor is synonymous, the same as looking after me. So at the City Mission, birthed out of the churches, we minister to the poor every day. Some are poor because of their choices. That's true. Some are poor because of the choice of others. Some are poor because of physical illness, mental illness. Uh, some poor because they can't find a job. Some poor because they don't want to find a job. Some are poor because they have a family who come and take all their money. It's true. Some are poor because they gamble away the money they have or drink it away or smoke it away or spend it on drugs. Some are poor and homeless. They're often poor and hungry. Some are young and some are old. And we see these people every day. As I say, we're going to have our meal today. But they have something in common. Thank you. It's very helpful. I've probably got something somewhere, but I don't know where. They have something in common, all these people. Jesus loves every one of them. And they're uniquely valuable to him. We teach that in the, in the city mission all the time, about the unique value of every person. It's a Christian value. And we say we do that because that's what Jesus taught. And all of the people who work here hear that regularly. Jesus wants us to take care of them. He doesn't ask us to cast judgment on them. They're not poor because, you know, we're not to be teaching you are poor because of your own choices, therefore, therefore undeserving of care. That's not something reflected in Scripture. 
In the passage in Matthew 25, the question is asked in verse 39, or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Did you ever consider that the person who is sick, who is sick, is unlikely personally responsible for their condition? But the person in prison, it's highly likely that they did something wrong and that is what put them in prison. Jesus makes no distinction between these two suffering people. He makes no distinguish, distinction between our level of responsibility for them. It doesn't matter if their own actions place them there or not. We are, we are responsible for their care. One of the wonderful things about working at the Sydney Mission is that I get to witness God in action, not just through the staff that care, not just through lives being transformed, but through people, ordinary people, who often come to us and say, how can I help? They help by giving. They give their time. We have people who come and volunteer for us and we, and we say it constantly that we couldn't do what we do without our amazing volunteers. Some give a few hours, some give a few days, some have literally been here for years donating their time to the poor of lawn system. Some give of their talent. We have some wonderful supporters. And I just went up to... Uh, recently to visit the ladies who knit for us at um, St John's Anglican Church. They've got a group of ladies there. They knit to supply gifts to the residents of Missiondale, Arana and Morton's Place. These are the people who are fighting addiction. And this uh, group of ladies has just formed a wonderful bond with all the residents at Missiondale and we regularly do that. It's a really important part of their lives and they love doing it. They go to their, their, their celebration evenings and um, it's just a really useful and rewarding thing to do. And some give in prayer. We're a Christian organisation. We uphold the name of Jesus and promote the gospel of Christ through our work. We've got the cross in our emblem. And we believe that as we lift up the cross, all men will be drawn unto him. Without the, prayer of, the prayers of the saints, we'd not be able to achieve the things we achieve. People pray for us to receive favour from government, businesses and individuals, and, and we do. And you know, I want to encourage you this morning because you're part of this at Redemption Hills. We don't often uh, talk about this, but uh, the top line of giving from this church, of, of the top line of giving from this church, 5% of it comes to the city mission. And so, uh, you know, just by giving, supporting this church, we're part of a, a flow of money to the poor of Launceston. You know, I think that God will bless the church for that. I think it's a good thing to do. I'm not saying that just because I just, there's some, I believe what I'm talking about this morning, that there is something fundamental uh, uh, to the gospel of Christ that we should, the churches are meant to support the poor. And, uh, and this is just a great vehicle, a gift from God that we can do it through. I want to conclude... Um, with a story, uh, one of the people of the mission, just as an illustration. Bianca separated from her husband of eight years due to domestic violence related issues linked to an alcohol dependency. They were equal partners in their own business, each drawing income. However, the husband stopped Bianca receiving any income and uh, he allowed her to live in the family house that was in his name only. 
She was left with a vehicle for now and some money, but after several months, any money she had was used up in paying for a lawyer plus food and running expenses. She wasn't able to eat and within a short period had lost over 20 kilograms. Her clothes hung off her, uh, there's no money and her now ex-husband makes sure she's not receiving any. She has some serious health issues and the medication alone each month is around $50. She cannot be without it and just recently she'd been a week without it until a support worker from an organisation referred to her um, had her scripts filled. She's been informed by Centrelink she's not able to claim a benefit during, due to the fact she's a part owner in a business. She's referred to family services for financial aid assistance just across the road here. She has no food, needs clothing and fuel for the vehicle. She's living out of town and she has to travel in for appointments. She's hoping for a settlement payout one day, but this will be in the hands of lawyers and could take some time. She's not well mentally, emotionally, physically to make her way in life. Family services helps her and continues to provide some level of ongoing financial assistance. Another story. A group of four girls began in our program in Inside Out for Kids. By week three it was evident that one child was still very reserved and withdrawn. Um, our leader of that service spent extra time with her and asked, what is your story? She began to sob, my dad died. It's my fault he died. This is her story. The girl came home after school last Christmas to find her, uh, her dad had taken his own life and he'd committed suicide and she found him like that. Only that morning she had argued with dad about staying at her friend's house. She blamed herself, concluded that dad was angry with her and was so confused. She started having nightmares, was frightened all the time and couldn't concentrate in the classroom. She withdrew from all her friends. She was shutting down emotionally in every way. As difficult as it was, uh, we encouraged her to draw pictures of Dad and share about the happy times they had together. Slowly, she began to smile and even chuckle at the good times they had together. One week, she made a memory bracelet. Each coloured bead represented uh, a time in her life spent with Dad. Journeying through the program, she began to grow in confidence and learnt one important thing. She was not to blame for what her father had done. She no longer had to carry such a burden inside her heart. That's why, as a church, and through group, you know, vehicles like the City Mission, we need to be caring for the poor. They come in all shapes and sizes. It's not their fault. It's just the outcome of a broken world. But in Deuteronomy 15, 11, it says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed and towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. The poor will be with us always. And this world will keep creating poverty. Our responsibility will always be the same. Jesus asks us to be open-handed in our care for the poor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've been...
praising the name of your son here this morning. And he is worthy to be praised. And he taught in Matthew, Lord, and the other Gospels are recorded about how we should have regard for the poor. And that it's part of our calling on our lives to care for others less fortunate than ourselves. And Lord, even there, might, there will be people here today that have stories that emulate some of these. And by the grace of God, they're here and can lift up their, you know, your name and they lift up their hands in praise to you. And we just thank you for, for, the, for the restoring power of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. Even more so, Lord, as we experience your grace. Should we be compelled to reach out and touch the lives that are poor and broken in spirit, need healing from little children right through to those almost at the end of their days. May we always sense how your Holy Spirit should guide us in this. May we, our hearts be open to all people. May we recognise that as we do those things for those people in difficult circumstances, less fortunate than ours, that as we do that, we do it unto you. And when we come to be with you, he'll be saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't neglect me when you saw me in prison, in hospital, in your street, without food standing in the city lost or out of your mind Lord may our eyes be open to what you have for us to do and may our church always have a heart for the poor and be guided by your Holy Spirit to do all that we can and we pray this in your precious name Amen